Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. Is there a technology you could build that would really accelerate your impact? Is there an app? Is there a product that doesn't exist in the world that you think would serve lots and lots of social impact organizations? Why don't we step back from this and make something more generic so we don't have to recode it each time. Vera can just use this platform um, and we can deliver less expensive consulting engagements with cooler technologies that, that actually work together. I'm very pleased to introduce Taylor Downs. Taylor has spent almost a decade designing data systems for leading international development organizations. He co-founded Vera Solutions and recently set up OpenFN, a platform that helps nonprofits find, integrate and set the right technology solution. The goal is to make technology tools work more efficiently and effectively in the social sector. Their approach allows social impact organizations to save money and increase efficiency and impact. Thank you very much, Taylor, for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs today and share your journey. Well, thank you for having me, Fernal. So we spoke a couple of years ago where your main focus was Vera Solutions and providing data mm -hmm. solutions technology for social sector organizations of various kinds. Where are you today? Well, Vera Solutions is still growing and uh, working with uh, more and more exciting organizations around the world. Um, I think we've just passed 175 different organizations. For the last two years, I've actually been focusing on, uh, on a new venture, uh, a sort of a sister or spin-off from Vera Solutions uh, that is aimed at connecting the different technologies that are so important for the social sector and the, the, the growth of the social sector um, and all of these amazing interventions around the world. Great. Technology can be a challenge for everyone, although I guess we live in a day, an age where plug and play and all kinds of simple simplifications with apps and so forth, notwithstanding the fact that operating systems keep upgrading and new technologies <laughs> and, and so forth. By and large, it does seem to work pretty well. What is the situation facing social organizations? Well, the point you bring up um, that we live in an increasingly plug and play world is a really good one. Uh, we take for granted that systems just work together. Um, and there are sort of classic examples in your everyday life of, um, of, of sort of different technologies integrating and, and communicating with one another to make your life easier. Uh, of course, all of the apps on your iPhone or your Android they're connected to each other. So your email can uh, register events on your calendar and so on and so forth. Um, you can also receive an SMS on your cell phone to notify you when a prescription's ready to be picked up from a pharmacy. And all of this sort of ease of use and you know, easily accessible information that we, we take for granted in the modern world is actually made possible by integrations, by system integrations uh, that connect all of these different technologies. Now, the issue that we're dealing with more often than not in the social sector is that 
without big budgets and without a clear sort of profit incentive for really nice user experience and really easy to use technologies, uh, we still need to connect lots of different tools to run an after-school clinic. You might need to, to have some sort of registration technology uh, that takes photos or fingerprint scans. You might need to have a, uh, a learning management system that delivers educational content. Um, and heck, you might need a, a payment processor to receive donations. And, and we sort of imagine that, yeah, this business could be really, really efficient if all of these tools work together. But they just don't more often than not. An open function is a platform that makes it much easier to get that easy integration between all of these different tools to get that actually running. Right. And what have you been doing? I mean, what was the demand? What did you observe initially that prompted you to think that another, yeah. having another leg to your operation? Increasingly at Vera Solutions, we were finding that the, the projects, the implementations we were delivering just required more than one tool. Uh, and, and this makes, this makes perfect sense. Um, organizations are, are complex things, as I'm sure you know from, from interviewing so many different social entrepreneurs. Uh, and they have different groups of users with different needs. At Vera, um, we build primarily on Salesforce, but we would find over and over that uh, to deliver a, a project for a client, we couldn't rely just on Salesforce. We'd also have to connect, uh, say, Open Data Kit, which is a really wonderful open source um, data collection application that you can run on an Android phone. So to deliver this project, we would need to get Salesforce up and running, and we'd need to get ODK up and running. Then as consultants, we'd be left to custom code and integration between the two tools uh, so that human beings wouldn't have to actually migrate data, migrate information from one system to another. Um, it, should, it should be seamless. They should capture some information in the field using ODK, and that information should show up in Salesforce. So at Vera, more and more of our projects relied on these types of integrations. Uh, and in 2000 and in 2014, we received a small grant from the Salesforce Foundation to actually create a little research and development lab. And this is this is absolutely amazing. You know, for a small a small consulting company to be able to fund a little R&D lab is really exciting. Um, and we looked around the space, uh, you know, the mandate was, you guys are doing good consulting work. Uh, is there a technology you could build that would really accelerate your impact? Is there, a, is there an app? Is there a product that doesn't exist in the world that you think would, uh, you know, serve lots and lots of social impact organizations? And we thought about it for a while, um, even false started a couple of times. Uh, thinking, oh, maybe we should build X or maybe we should build Y. But almost everywhere we looked, we found that there were already a lot of really good technologies in almost every space for tracking 
attendance or uh, patient registration or for sending SMSs. All of these tools existed. The thing that was missing was an easy way to connect them all. So we sort of pumped the brakes, stepped back a little bit, and set out to build a platform that would allow organizations we work with or, or other consultants to wire together the existing tools instead of recoding the wheel and and creating sort of new technologies and new integrations for every project. Why not create a, a more standardized platform that let people plug in their different tools and get them talking to one another, teach them to, to speak the same language, if you will. Right. I imagine that would be of use to pretty much every organization in, I mean, not, not just the social sector, but certainly social impact organizations, something like that, because I guess whether it's one or two or three or five different specific tools, this is a generic problem. Do you need to be involved when this piece of software is implemented or is your goal to, to get this more broadly out to any social impact organization that might need it? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, we, we've been learning a lot about how the tool is used over the last two years. My initial vision was that anyone and their granny could, uh, could, could start integrating their various technologies. Um, and my, Zach and Cardi were, were probably rightfully skeptical of this opinion. Um, and and they've, they've absolutely been right. Um, the reality is that data integration is hard. Um, even if you create, you know, friendly, appealing buttons and wizards, screens that, that walk you through step by step, to take two different systems that have sort of different language and different meaning in those systems and to get them to to communicate it's it's always going to be a challenge um we've tried to limit the amount of technical know-how an organization needs to run these integrations but we haven't we haven't completely uh, gotten rid of it so right now the folks using open function Sometimes they are consultants, like their solutions. Sometimes they are uh, individuals who have some technical uh, experience or some technical background. Um, and sometimes they're actually the product providers that build these various tools. Um, so those are the, the sort of three groups of, of users that we have. Um, but it's not it's not uh it's not as simple as um i mean, I'm trying to think how to put this like it's not the tool is absolutely not for a non you need to sort of understand technology a bit to use it it's not a it's not as friendly as you know sending an email yes absolutely um, yeah. I, do, you, do you know what i'm trying to get at? Yeah, I'm not no, quite sure absolutely i guess it's it's uh, you're on a journey and you're trying to find that place where people have some technical knowledge but i guess it's a shortcut it may not be a total shortcut but it brings you there yeah. quicker and trying to find yeah and your, i guess you know. one way to think of it is in order to set up uh in order to connect all of these technologies uh 
it used to take uh, an IT team, right? It used to take a, 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 a strong staff. It had good skills in, you know, infrastructure management, et cetera. Uh, so big budget, a, a number of people working on it. Uh, and while we can't make the problem go away, we can downshift what's required to get that really good sort of enterprise level integration. Um, it'll still take, you know, one woman or one man working at a computer for a few hours, um, but at least it doesn't take an IT team anymore. And, and that, that sort of, well, that's exciting for me because that unlocks sort of a whole new group of, of organizations that couldn't really afford this type of enterprise level integration before. Now, if they have an intern who, who understands a bit of JavaScript, they can actually set these things up on their own. And they don't need to hire outside consultants. They don't need to have an IT team. That's, that's really exciting. So it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like democratizing the really powerful enterprise integration that makes a company like, I don't know, McDonald's so efficient and so profitable. Um, it's democratizing that. And it's saying, eh, find someone who knows some JavaScript and they can set up the same type of really powerful enterprise system uh, in you know a couple of hours as these big corporations. Wow, that's quite a quite an achievement. Yeah, I, I mean, still work work in progress. Yes, well, I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going to ask you how many companies are using your technology right now, and what is your goal over the next few years? How many social impact organizations? How do you define your market and looking at that over the next three to five years? So right now, there are only a few dozen clients using it at scale. We, we get a lot of registrations, and we have a, a free tier. Um, so we really encourage people to sign up on the website, play around with it, check out the documentation. Um, and then if you like what you're doing and it starts to make sense in your organization's workflow, then you can upgrade to a paid plan. I suppose there's nothing stealthy about it if I'm if I'm talking about it on a, a podcast. We realized that the problem that we're solving with open function, while it grew out of our experience working in international development, it's absolutely a problem that companies, uh, organizations all over the world in, in lots of different sectors, it's a problem that they face as well. And uh, organizations are always looking for sort of faster, cheaper, more efficient ways of, uh, of setting up their systems. So we're actually considering, uh, we're actually considering sort of entering the integration platform as a service which is a mouthful i know but the the the, the market the, the corporate market there um right so right, right now all of our work all of our work is social sector focused right um, and all right. of our clients are social sector clients right but we're beginning to realize that there might be a bit of a crossover appeal and wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually we could cross subsidize and we could fund big discounts for nonprofits and social businesses by having a handful of larger corporate clients. Um, and, and that would be really cool. That would be really exciting. So the, the future is definitely a little bit unknown, but, 
but it, it, it could be different than, than it is now. Right. But it sounds like you have your hands full in the social sector. There must be innumerable organizations that could, you know, use this kind of technology. And presumably that is what you understand best. You understand their needs, the rather idiosyncratic and you've had your sleeves rolled up working in this area for so many years. You must have a deep understanding yeah. of users' needs. Well, I guess in the corporate sector, what do you bring to it that's, that's going to be distinctive? That's a great question. Um, I certainly don't bring years of client management expertise with, with corporates. Um, I, I think what people have, and this will be hard to explain without getting uh, too technical, what what folks have been excited about uh, who we've sort of previewed the technology with as an alternative to traditional corporate solutions is, uh, in, a, in a strange way, that we we do less, um, and let me explain that before it sounds like the worst sales pitch ever. Um, the The product that we've built allows almost complete control to rest with uh, whoever's setting up these integrations. Um, in a in a really nice, easy to work with, almost unadulterated way. Uh, we sort of stumbled upon this this setup um, because we were trying to only add features that we absolutely needed um, and and just listen to our customer base and and not um, and not sort of make any big uh, locking in decisions around the user interface uh, and in the end uh, that might be our differentiator um, that when you use the tool. Uh, it almost respects you uh, as a as a power user, and it gives you complete control over the connections between your technologies. Um, whereas uh, a lot of other tools have these sort of heavy, clunky business logic mapping engines, um, and they're they're not as nice to work with as a, a, a sort of a, a simple screen that allows you to right there in front of your eyes, type exactly what you want to happen between your various technologies. Right. Does, does any of that make sense? Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I, no, no, I understand. That makes a lot of sense. How do you get this software? You know, how do you market this? How do you create awareness? How, how do you distribute this? Just looking at the social sector, because I guess that's in any case going to be rather different from the corporate sector if you were going to look at distributing yeah. the software there. Our big... I guess you could say like channel partners, the people that really are, are getting the tool out there and getting it used. They are um, occasionally, you know, occasionally people just come in through the website and you find these amazing little community-based NGOs that sign up and start using the tool. And that's great. But for really big scale, we need consulting groups like uh, Demagi and Vera Solutions to go out and implement this technology in all of their projects. And we also need these sort of uh, key large users um, like international NGOs uh, or, um, or recipients of you know, USAID funding um, or you know, GIFID funding. We need those organizations to uh, basically roll out the, the technology across their 50, 60 different country programs. 
And we're actually pretty well suited to that type of implementation because if you are, um, so one of our, one of our current clients is TechnoServe and they run amazing programs all over the world. Uh, they have a, a re- relatively small technology team and they're trying to support implementations around the world. So not only do they need to uh, wire up various technologies to work in a, you know, a, a project in Latin America, um, but they then need to connect that system to a, a global system. Um, so it's really cool having those conversations because those organizations can absolutely take this idea to scale. They can say, yes, this is a better way of moving information around and all of our country teams will be more efficient all of them will be more effective if we can get the, the sort of the data moving automatically around the organization using open function. So that sounds like a great way of, of getting the software out there. So presumably having a few of these international organizations, that would be they'd be quite big client base, quite big clients to have and, and presumably a, a reasonably strong financial you know support to continue to develop the software. Well, that's the hope. We we're also always walking a fine line because um, we've built, you know, most of the stuff is open source, um, and we want to we want to keep the sort of the pricing accessible as possible. Um, so, you know, as a as a, if you've if you've uh, talked with any other um, sort of software or product based companies um, in the in the social space, I'm sure. A lot of them have conceded that they hope that all of their revenue will come um, from monthly subscriptions, but in reality, they're doing a lot of consulting, um, and, and that's totally where we are right now. Um, so we're 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 slowly getting uh, a bigger base of monthly recurring revenue, um, but to keep growing at the the speed that we want to keep growing and to get the thing out there. Uh, we actually just need to do a lot of work, uh, us human beings here, uh, because because consulting revenue is often sort of what keeps the lights on, and uh, and there are people who are who are still just much happier to pay a consultant to come in and set up an integration than to use a uh, a piece of software that they can figure on their own. Yes, yes. I mean, you mentioned various solutions and the, the, the hundred clients. Surely they would be ideal partners for you and, or ideal companies, yes, organizations. Yeah, and, and they are. They're absolutely our, they're, they're our biggest, our biggest partner. Um, and we're, it was sort of interesting. The two are such different businesses, but they're, they're so, they're so linked. And so many of the projects that Vera uh, starts implementing They'll they'll use open function technology to wire the different pieces together. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but open function for a, a little while was actually just sort of thought of as an internal tool. Um, so the if the consultants at their solutions have to create the same integration five times in a row, but they have to you know rewrite it each time. Then the light bulb goes off, and, and we sort of say, "Well, gosh, why don't we step back from this and make something more generic, so we don't have to recode it each time? Uh, we can just, you know, Vera can just use this platform, um, and we can deliver 
less expensive consulting engagements with cooler technologies that, that actually work together. Um, so that was almost how, you know, that's almost how Open Function grew up, was wanting to solve the immediate problems of a consulting firm that was trying to deliver cool systems uh, that, that actually worked together on tight budgets. Um, and, and, and then, you know, Open Function is sort of the answer to the integration part. Right, right, right. What have been one or two of the biggest challenges you faced on this journey? One challenge was that it was certainly certainly something we still um, still deal with is in the design of the product. Uh, we are trying to create a a platform that, in a sense, um, is very generic and works for lots of different types of users and connects lots of different types of technologies. And trying to design for something, for, for sort of a, a, a net that is on purpose so wide is really difficult. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, we knew as we were building this thing to begin with, we knew that there were very specific customer needs. I remember we had a we had a survey, a household survey in northern India run by an organization called KGVK and they were they needed to get survey data from Open Data Kit into Salesforce to to monitor it was it was really like detailed household survey with health statuses and financial uh like financial um updates for all these families in Jharkhand in Northern India. And we sort of like, on the one hand, you have this really specific user that just needs you to do something for them. And then on the other hand, you have to remember, well, gosh, we can't build a product that solves that too well because we need it to be flexible to solve all of the other things that we don't quite know about yet. And on the one hand, you know that Revenue will come from solving that current client's problem, but you know that you are sort of uh, cutting down your potential future revenue by making it more specific. So I, I think this is a this is an issue we've dealt with um, almost for the last two years straight: is how to grow the platform while we have real clients making real requests of us, but also we don't want to limit future functionality. Um, Does that make sense as a design challenge where you're sort of, you're trying to be very generic, but also, gosh, that's a terrible way to go about design. You, you, You want to be able to define a problem and solve it as opposed to saying, oh, well, we might need to connect this technology over here um, and, and the two things are, are in tension constantly as we build out the product. Yes, I guess you're trying to build a road, but how far do you go? And you want they'll need to build a bit themselves. And clearly, if there are a lot of you know vehicles on this one road, well, that it makes sense. But it's trying to find that sweet spot. And I guess it's a bit lumpy as well, because if the challenge breaks down into little bits that may not all be the same size and, and things like that. But I guess Absolutely. It's trying to find that generic... Absolutely point where the work is transferable and useful for other clients but you haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater for the current client that they've still got to do so much work for themselves 100 percent. and and if i were slightly more eloquent i'd insert some turn of phrase like you know 
forgetting the forest for the trees or the difference between being too nearsighted or too farsighted. Um, but, but neither one of them is, is, is good, right? Like you, you won't actually get anywhere if you're just looking at the, the super distant horizon and you don't have some concrete steps and, and you don't meet some real world problems that paying clients are asking you to solve. Yes. Um, so it's a really interesting tension and it, 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 comes into all of our design meetings. Yes, absolutely. I can see that. And what's at stake here? I mean, more generally, in terms of the level of computerization or ease of function, you know, I know that more generally, when it comes to questions of technology and productivity, it's not at all clear that notwithstanding all this great technology we have, that productivity is really increased with this technology. Just with that in mind, and your, I guess, yeah. int intimate knowledge of the social impact sector, is there some measure or some way of reflecting you know the scale of the the potential if they could really get this side of things together so when folks ask me about the the impact of open function you know what what's it for what does it actually do at the end of the day um i i, I tend to think of it in terms of uh in terms of sort of a time and money um value right and and you can you can sort of pick the two apart or you can lump them together. Um, and also a, a, a quality uh, value. And, and so, so to, to jump into the two things a little bit, uh, in order to deliver a service, um, you know, maybe to, um, uh, to register, register a patient and, um, get them treated and then, get them some medication. There's, there's a whole process that needs to take place. Call it a, a, you know, a 20 step process. And if you can execute all 20 of these steps, then the, the patient gets the treatment that they need at the end. And that's, that's a good thing. Um, now, as we map out the process uh, for a lot of these organizations, we find that there are a large number of steps that don't require any emotional intelligence. You don't actually need a human to be doing these things. Stuff like data transfer. Um, it, it just, it's error prone when a human does it. Uh, it's, it's very slow. And there's absolutely no good reason that a computer couldn't be doing it, given, given a rule. So if you can identify steps in a process that could be automated and then automate them, you're going to move through the process more quickly. So actually deliver the medication to the patient more rapidly. Um, you're going to cut out the, uh, the, the human cost and, and sort of like the human error involved in that process where you might have a mistake introduced because someone was copying information down from one system and entering it into another and you're going to save a bunch of money because it's really hard to find a, a human being who works sort of 24-7 without getting tired or upset or taking bathroom breaks and doesn't make mistakes. Um, so, to, to, so to get the same quality, you would need to have sort of a, a, an administrative staff working round the clock, uh, checking all the errors and, and, and making sure all the information gets moved along. Um, so it, it's sort of like this, the, the angle is really easy to see when you talk about integration or automation is that it's, it makes things go faster. 
right? It, it saves time, it saves money. But then the other side that I think is really, really important is by cutting out the chance of human error, you're actually getting higher quality data to the end of the line, whether that's a decision maker or, or a dispensary or, or whatever it is. Um, you're just not introducing many mistakes. And that's really important. That, that, that impacts the quality of these, these interventions. Right. Fascinating. And just thinking about uh, as a social impact organization yourselves, how has it been for you? What kind of support have you had on your journey? And have you had any insights and lessons about, you know, how to perform better as a social impact organization? Oh, man, we've had nothing but support from some really, really amazing individuals and organizations. Um, we, I, I think one of, the, one of the luckiest things that happened to us was getting accepted into Eklund Green back in uh, 20, 2012. Um, so uh, Carty, Zach, and I were, were running Vera at the time. And uh, we had, you know, we, we, we had a, a, a cool organization. It was growing a bit, but we, we were really trying to sort of find our feet in the, in the social enterprise space, right? It's, it's, a, it's a slightly weird thing to be a, a social enterprise. And we were looking for role models and, and Eklund Green just provided instantly this amazing community of other social entrepreneurs that had been through a lot of the stuff we were going through and were just so generous and so, so eager to, to, to really help, to actually roll up their sleeves and help out and, and help us wade through our issues. Um, I mean, that was that was absolutely transformative. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and so many of the other people I might list as, uh, as role models or, or positive influences, supporters of their solutions and open function over the years are folks that we met through the, the Echo and Green community. Um, even, even more recently, uh, we, we went through um, the Milago Foundation's fellowship program, the Rainer Arnold Fellowship. Um, and all of the connections to Milago at, at the outset were, were from were from Echoing Green to begin with. Um, so I think that I can't say enough about the the work that community's done to uh, to sort of I don't know to 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 create a really supportive environment for social entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, I, uh, but I I'll need to I'll need to think a little bit more. But but that's. As soon as you ask that question, that's the first thing that comes to mind because they've they've been so they've been so wonderful. Brilliant. Yes, I interviewed Kevin Starr early on. As it happens, I've interviewed many folks and connected with Malago just as it's worked out. But yes, a great a great supporter of all kinds of social entrepreneurs, yeah. as indeed is Echoing Green. Maybe one last question. I'm mindful of the time is connected with fundraising and how your experience of being funding Vera and now what you're doing. But just any insights into the challenges and how to do that from your own experience. Vera was uh, Vera was interesting um, because it's a it's a consulting firm um, and you can. What was really nice about Vera is that for the first uh, ten or eleven months. We all kept our day jobs um, and we worked our asses off nights and weekends, um, basically on phones and laptops. Uh, but we, 
we had already we had already generated our first hundred thousand dollars in revenue in in paying client revenue um, before we before we had our first uh, <laughs> I remember we had our first board meeting the the three of us um, where we we just left our other jobs and finally finally all got to the same place for the first time and I guess it was like ten months or eleven months and said all right well we've we've earned a bit of money what are we doing? Is this, this for real now? Like, should we, should we hire someone? Um, so Vera was, Vera was really nice because with consulting, you can do so much having literally no money. Right. Um, and that was really important. And, and then, then we always felt like we were in a good position. So we didn't have to go out and aggressively fundraise. Um, we could rely on our client track record. Um, Equin Green provided us with a, a debt that we actually paid back um at the end of that uh, at the end of that program so we we didn't struggle tremendously there um open function i found i found it more difficult to 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 raise funds for uh because it's a software company that has sort of large upfront costs and the nebulous promise of, of future returns uh and i found it i found it to be a strange space, um, especially in software, uh, because there seems to be, it seems as though there's really understood tried and true models for fundraising, uh, in sort of the venture capital space and, and, you know, traditional for-profit software companies. And that's, you know, that's, it's hard. It's, it's weird. Um, but it's well established and that's been happening for quite some time now. Um, and I, I, I find that sort of accepting less return, uh, because you're actually leading with a social mission instead of a, a profit motive. Um, that space just isn't as mature yet. So, uh, the actors in it, um, don't necessarily all follow the same protocol. I know all of that is sort of vague. Is, is any of that useful for, well, for well, your for your listeners? I think it is because I think what you're saying is that it's challenging because it's new, it's different, and it's evolving at the moment. So that's going to be hard work because you're a pioneer in a sense. You're trying to do things in a different way. I mean, as you say, it's a social software rather than a you know purely profit maximizing or uh-huh. you know, and that's inevitable. But it is interesting because you presumably have a you know some connections and track record in this you know area and yet you're finding it you know challenging which isn't to say that you won't over time (laughs) solve the problem but it's good to know for others who are going on that journey absolutely Uh, and i mean another another interesting uh another interesting piece is that on the philanthropic angle um you know, because we're 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 still actually trying to get some of our open source software uh, owned by a 501c3, so that we can receive donations. Um, and we found that uh, for philanthropic funding of open function, we we're one step too far removed from uh, a really pretty picture. And I'll I'll explain. I promise. But but. That's exactly why I'm so excited about open function, and it's why it's so hard to find uh, traditional donor funding. So, 
lots of donors have a specific focus. They they want to work on um, malnutrition in East Africa, say. So they're very eager to actually fund the you know delivery of food to you know a, a village in East Africa. Um, then you find a, a sort of a, a different group of funders that are a little bit more future thinking, and they're happy to not actually fund the food itself, but to fund a technology that makes it easier to deliver the food. Um, and that's cool. And they'll, they'll get behind it. Maybe a smaller group than the sort of direct donation group. Um, and what we're doing at Open Function is creating a technology that makes other technologies that make the delivery of food easier better. And as I'm sure many of your listeners will on the podcast, I start to roll and, and they think, well, what? You're now you're now two steps further back from uh, from this you know this child actually receiving another meal, um, and for me that's leverage, that's incredible, right? We're we're operating uh, at sort of at the base, and if we can do this really well, then scores of other technologies will actually become more powerful because they can all connect to one another. So that's exactly why we're doing it. But I have to admit that it is fairly distant from one particular intervention uh, delivering. I, I suppose this is, this is an infrastructure problem in general. An infrastructure is notoriously difficult to fund because, I mean, they're generally, they involve huge outlays, like, you know, building railroads across Africa. You need to spend so much money that you're never going to recoup because you can't possibly expect uh, people to pay for the cost of actually building these railroad tracks. You need to get all of these different government actors to work together when they all have different motives. So I, I suppose it's an infrastructure problem. But yeah, infrastructure is really hard to fund. That's very interesting what you say there, because I guess what you're saying is your software in a way is a multiplier because it multiplies the impact because instead of one organization, as it were, if you're that front line, you're instead of just, you know, a smaller subset of organizations, you're multiplying the impact, technological impact of just a, a swathe of other social impact organizations. It's trying to find a funder that has, a, I guess, a mandate for that kind of thing. Yeah. That's spot on, and the the, the problem is that uh, it is a it's by definition uh, it's quite generic, um, and it, it seems that increasingly nonprofit funders have specific mandates. Um, we want to work on you know uh, women's and girls empowerment in sub-Saharan Africa, or, or even in South Africa, and we want to work with 14 to 18 year old women. Because, you know, we've got, I mean, funders are just sort of beholden to their funders as well. And, you know, they've got, they've got funding that really thinks, all right, cool. What we need to do to make the biggest impact on the world is uh, better education for 14 to 18-year-old women in South Africa. Um, and it's really hard then to, to get that type, of, that type of organization interested in a tool that will be used by interventions targeting 14 to 18 year old women in South Africa, but it's also going to be used by, gosh, what are some of our clients doing? Fisheries management uh, and 
Myagro is doing um, agricultural layaway in, in Mali and Senegal. Um, I, I don't know. They're all over the place. And I think that's cool, but it's, it is certainly harder to fund. Well, as you say, it's a bigger challenge, but a bigger payoff as well. It all coming together. It sounds like you're on the right track, Taylor, and you're making great progress for what's a really important piece of work. And thank you so much for taking the time today to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs. And I wish you the very best of success in the future. Thank you so much, Virgil. It was really wonderful to get to talk to you today. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.